0: Welcome. This week we are celebrating Pentecost Sunday, a Jewish festival historically which also marks the moment when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church in special measure for the first time. Let me read to you a couple of passages from the beginning of the book of Acts. Firstly from Acts chapter 1. Jesus said to them it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then from the beginning of chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. As you are listening or watching this sermon, you are probably in one of a number of positions. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus. You're just interested in God and maybe church. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus, definitely a Christian, but you're not sure where you stand on the whole issue of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you wouldn't say you'd been baptised or filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus and there's a definite moment when you can say that moment is when I was baptised in the Holy Spirit. Maybe God's doing a lot in your life right now or maybe you're going through a period of dryness thinking where is God? Am I full of the Spirit at this time? Maybe you have already spent two hours today just soaking in God. We're all somewhere on that spectrum. We're all going through one season or another. Equally, you will be somewhere on that spectrum in terms of your view of the Holy Spirit. At one extreme, you might believe, well, yep, the Holy Spirit is there to to save me as part of my salvation, And then then I'm on my own and it's down to me and lots of hard work and I'll encounter the Holy Spirit when I get to glory. Or maybe you're somebody who consults with the Holy Spirit on every moment of every day. Maybe you're somewhere in between. Maybe you move from one to the other. The reality is we will have different expectations and experiences of the Holy Spirit. And they will be shaped by numbers of things. Often our expectation on the Holy Spirit is based on past experience, both good and bad. Sometimes our expectation of the Holy Spirit is based on the church, the Christian community that we first got saved into. I was very fortunate I got saved into a church that was discovering afresh as a body the things of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's our personality that shapes how we feel about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's our personal passions, if we're a worshipper a witnesser, or a world changer. All these things will shape our expectation of what God can and does do in our lives through His Holy Spirit. And right at the start we need to remember this, our expectations should be based on Scripture. A biblical expectation of God will lead to a biblical experience of God. And we must allow the Word of God to shape our expectation. And that's what we're going to try and do over the next 20 minutes or so, is remind ourselves or discover for the first time what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. We've read from the book of Acts and a few weeks ago we looked specifically at the first eight verses of the book of Acts where Luke says this, he writes a book and he opens it with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we said a few weeks ago that Luke's expectation and the description we have in Scripture is that through the work of the Holy Spirit, the church will continue to do all that Christ did. Jesus, we're told, full of the Holy Spirit, did ministry. And the expectation of the New Testament is that the body of Christ, the church, full of the Holy Spirit, would do everything that Jesus did. That is a biblical expectation. The body of Christ is meant to operate full of the Holy Spirit. Now you can run a church without the Holy Spirit. You can run an organization without the Holy Spirit. You can run small groups without the Holy Spirit. You can manage your money as a church without the Holy Spirit but we cannot be about the work of the kingdom without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do what Christ did unless we are full of the Holy Spirit. Our biblical expectation, therefore, should be that we are full of the Spirit, that we go on being filled with the Spirit. But why is that? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit is promised to us. Jesus says, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. In expecting to receive the Spirit, in expecting to be filled with the Spirit, we are responding to a promise from our Father in heaven. Jesus refers to that promise. Jesus makes that promise. If we read on in Acts chapter 2, Peter would reflect back to that promise. He would describe the Holy Spirit as a promise. He would say, this promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. That's us. And that promise was not discovered in the New Testament. That promise has been there throughout the pages of Scripture. In fact, when we look at the Old Testament, we will see the Holy Spirit regularly encounters people. We know the Holy Spirit was right there at the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 1 tells us the Spirit hovered over the surface of the deep. In the Old Testament, we tend to see specific people filled with the Holy Spirit for specific tasks says this in Judges 11.29, almost picked at random. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. That's just one little section, one verse. But there are numerous verses in the Old Testament where you will read similar things. The Spirit of God came on somebody for a particular task at a particular time. However, the prophetic expectation, the prophetic promise of the Old Testament is there will come a day when God will pour out the Spirit on all flesh. This is what it says in Ezekiel 36. "'I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. "'I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh.'" I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. And other prophets, Joel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, refer to this promise that there will come a time in the future, sometimes described as the last days, when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. So when Jesus refers to a promise, the disciples would have gone, oh, oh, the promise. It wouldn't have been new to them. They'd have known their Old Testament. They'd have known, oh yeah, there's a promise. And they would have known that the promise of the Spirit is linked to the promise of the Messiah. Here is the Messiah in front of them. The promise of the Messiah is being fulfilled. Their expectation would be, okay, so the promise of the Spirit is going to be fulfilled. That's why Peter, in Acts two, can qu- so quickly quote "Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. He sees what is happening and he says, "Ah, and this is the promise." And he can quickly call to mind, "Oh, yeah, it says, in Joel, my spirit will be poured out on all flesh. We have a promise of the, uh, of the Holy Spirit running through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. John the Baptist, who we're looking at and we've been looking at in our series on John, is that link between Old Covenant and New Covenant. What does he say of Jesus? Here's someone who will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. Again, connecting this promise. Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit in these verses in Acts, but also earlier on in his ministry. John chapter 14, Jesus says, I must go to the Father. And the disciples are like, no, don't go. He says, no, I must go, because then the Father will send another counsellor. Someone just like me, the Holy Spirit. He will lead you into all truth. Time and time again, this promise is repeated. We must remember that the Holy Spirit has been promised to us. Now, we can all make a promise we can't keep. But God can't. When God makes a promise, he has to fulfill it. That's his character. And so we receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has been promised to us by the one who always keeps his promises. We must also remember, friends, that we are not talking about some abstract power. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, wait in Jerusalem and then power will come on you. No, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come to you and when he comes to you, you will receive power. When Jesus promises the Holy Spirit in John 14, 13, 14 and 15, what does he say? Another counsellor. That word another means the same as. So he's saying, someone just like me will come to you, the Spirit. And he will lead you into all truth. Sometimes it's easy to forget that the Holy Spirit is not some abstract power. The Holy Spirit is is part of the Godhead. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One who carries the very character of Christ. Well, of course he does, because he's God, and the character of God runs through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings the kingdom of God into hearts of individuals. The Holy Spirit is a person, a personality Not some abstract force, but a relational power. That's really important when we talk in a moment about how we receive the Holy Spirit, because we're not receiving some random abstract power that we can't touch. No, we're welcoming God. What does it say in Genesis chapter 3, that God walked with Adam and Eve in the call of the evening? What does Paul say in Galatians? Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Do you notice the connection there? Adam and Eve walked with God. We are called to walk with God. Because we're coming to God. When we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the Holy Spirit coming in power, we're talking about relationship. Not some religious practice. No Relationship, coming to one we have relationship with, meeting with Him. Now it's it's easy to forget that again because so, so much of the imagery about the Holy Spirit is a bit abstract. Wind, fire, water, these are descriptions of the Holy Spirit and it's easy to forget they're descriptions of a person. The personhood of God is what we are learning about. So we have a promise to us from the Father that he will be with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. That's what Pentecost is about. What Pentecost is about is this person of the Holy Spirit encountering the church, encountering us in fresh ways. So what does encountering this person look like? Well, it looks like lots of different things. Wouldn't it be easy if there was just one way? And that's, always, that's often our temptation, isn't it, friends, is to come up with a formula. We like formulas, many of us. We, we like structure. We like to know it's A, B, C, do it in this order. It'll always be like this. But when we read Scripture, we realise God is not formulaic. God is relational. God can do things in any order he wants. Here's a passage from Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 47. Peter is preaching, speaking to a bunch of Gentiles, people who should not be hearing the gospel, and yet here they are hearing the gospel. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift or promise of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptised with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. I I love this passage because it's all wrong. Surely, no, surely someone comes to Jesus, then they get baptised in water, then they get baptised in the Holy Spirit, then they grow in God. Well, yes and no. Because here you've got Gentiles who aren't Jews, they aren't steeped in the promise, they aren't steeped in the law. Peter speaks to them because he's had a prophetic vision from God saying he can, and God just comes on them. The Holy Spirit just comes into the room, changes the whole of history. The whole of church history has changed in this moment. I, as a Gentile, can receive Christ because of this moment. Because God breaks in. And so we need to be careful we don't end up with a formula. But there are things we can say. There are common traits of how we encounter the Holy Spirit. Firstly, it's a powerful encounter. Of course it is. If you look at the whole of Scripture, when God encounters people, there's power. People are healed. There's physical manifestations a wind, a fire, a storm. Moses encounters God in a bush that's on fire but isn't being burnt up. David is laid flat on his face. Joshua falls to the ground. In Acts 2, they think they're drunk. Well, why do they think that? Well, because there's power. People are staggering and mumbling and speaking in strange languages. When we encounter the living God, it's a powerful encounter. Now, of course, outward visible manifestations do not always point to an inner encounter with God. But when you have a true inner encounter with God, it always shows in the end sometimes in the moment, always over a period of of time. If you encounter God today through his Holy Spirit, you will encounter him emotionally and physically. Generally, this will be in line with your personality and temperament. As you're probably aware, even from how I'm preaching, I'm an extrovert. You know, I'm loud, my hands wave around. When I experience God in power, I tend, it tends to show in my language and my tone and my hands and my body. I'm married to an introvert. She encounters God powerfully but more gently, less obviously. We're both emotional people and so God often hits our emotions. We'll laugh or, or cry. So sometimes, yeah, our our personality, our character will shape how the Holy Spirit manifests, displays himself in our lives. But not always. An extrovert may well be rendered silent and an introvert may explode with praise. Because God is God. God does often work within our personalities, but God will equally work outside our personality because he is God. Encountering God will always be powerful. As I read through scripture, as I observe fellow Christians who experience God on a regular basis, encountering God always releases praise. Encountering the Holy Spirit seems to release praise and worship. The Holy Spirit can reveal sin but in the same moment reveal salvation, reveal the grace of God. And when the grace of God gets hold of us, do you know what happens? Praise comes out of us. As you look through church history at times of revival and renewal, one of the things you notice is new songs being written, new worship being ignited, the people of God being excited about worship again, getting a bit more emotional in worship. And remember, emotion is okay. Emotions are God-given. It is okay to call out praise loudly. It is okay to weep as God ministers to us in our sorrow and our grief. Weeping and laughing are both permitted and can be an outward response to what God is doing in our lives. When we encounter the person of the Holy Spirit there will be power, there will be praise. The Holy Spirit releases gifts and fruit. Often in the New Testament, we see the gift of tongues coming out when the Holy Spirit uh, encounters people for the first time. Again, let's not get formulaic. Yeah? You don't have to speak in tongues. Tongues is not the only way that the Holy Spirit manifests himself in individuals. But it's often the way in Scripture. Gifts reveal the presence of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 describes spiritual gifts as charismata, gifts of grace. When the Holy Spirit, who is God, who is a God of grace, encounters people, guess what? Gifts of grace come forth. Prophecy, tongue, interpretation, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, acts of mercy, acts of leadership, generosity. The Holy Spirit births in us gifts of the Spirit, but also fruit of the Spirit. When the incarnate Jesus was in the room, we would see power of God released in and through others' gifts. But we would also see people being transformed by and into the very character of God, spiritual fruit. Sometimes, again, we get formulaic. It's all about the gifts or it's all about the fruit. No, it's all about God. And when God encounters you, guess what? Fruit will grow and gifts will manifest. That's what we see in Scripture. So we have a promise. We have a promise of the very personhood of God in the Holy Spirit. When we encounter the person of the Holy Spirit, we can expect power, we can expect praise, we can expect gifts, we can expect fruit to begin to grow in our lives. I mean, what's not to like? And yet, we so often step back. We so often don't press in. Why is that, do you think? Well, I'm sure there are many reasons, but here are a few. Firstly, desire. Jesus said to those first disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. And I can imagine them each day. There's about 10 days, we think, between Jesus ascending into heaven and the day of Pentecost. Says they were gathered in one place. I think they gathered in that place every day. I think the next day they were like, will this be the day? And then the next day, and then the next day. I mean, I don't know how you'd have felt when you got to day 10. I'm pretty impatient. I mean, from about day two, I'd been going, come on, God. But what there was in them was a desire. They were still there. They were still open. Sometimes God does not minister to us because we don't want God to minister to us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does not have access because we don't invite him. Yes, God can move in a moment sovereignly, but so often we don't have because we don't ask. We don't have because we don't wait. We don't have because we don't have the desire. Sometimes we don't receive because we doubt. We, we, we doubt that this promise is for us. We doubt that anything will happen. We doubt God. Sometimes we're fearful. Again, that can maybe be based on past experience. What will happen if I truly open myself up to the Holy Spirit? What will happen? And that fear, that uncertainty stops us inviting God, inviting the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is another counsellor, just like Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be open to the Holy Spirit because I know it's just like being open to Jesus. When I look at Jesus in Scripture, why wouldn't I be open to that man? Sometimes we don't receive because we feel inadequate. We remember that sin. We remember what we said to that person. Our identity is a bit shaky. Surely God wouldn't want to meet with me. That's a lie, friends. You are loved. God delights in you. The promise, the gift of the Spirit is for you. says in these verses we read at the start, All Received. Not all who were worthy, or all who'd been good enough, or all who'd read their Bible that day, or all who'd come to church every day. I imagine there was someone in the room who hadn't been there on day one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, or nine, just turned up day 10, and they won the jackpot. Because God is a God of grace. We need to want to receive. Don't doubt. Try and lay aside your fears as you look at Jesus. Try to remember, it's not about qualifying yourself. You have been qualified by the grace of God in Christ. So how then do we receive? Well, firstly, we have to believe. We have to believe in Jesus. We have to come under the lordship of christ yes the holy spirit the power of god the person of god in the holy spirit could impact anybody at any time and does but that's not the same as being baptized in the spirit or filled with the spirit no to be filled with the holy spirit you have to be in relationship with god and therefore we have to come unto the lordship of christ before we can believe in the spirit we need to believe in the son We need to confess our sin. We need to recognize that the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Christ has impacted us and we have received that. If you've not done that, do that today. But once you have done that, ask. Ask. Matthew 7, again, words of Jesus, says this. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, it will be given seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, we receive by asking. On this first Pentecost day, what did they do? They believed the promise. They'd come under the Lordship of Christ. That was a done deal. They believed the promise. They came each day, they waited, and they asked. And God keeps his promise. So for us, today, we need to wait We need to believe the promise. We need to ask. And we need to receive. Let me pray. Father God, we are so grateful for the promise of your Holy Spirit. We're so grateful that in these last days he has been poured out on all flesh. Help us this day and each day to wait on you, to ask and to receive. Amen.